Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Welcome your hosts, Byron White and Amanda Smith. Welcome, everyone, to today's show. Mandy, how are you? I'm great as usual. How was the show last week? I missed it. It was so lonely, Byron. It was it was horribly lonely. I felt like I was just talking to myself, like I was talking to like dead air. Please don't ever leave me again. <laughs> well, thanks for the compliments, <laughs> and I'm sure everything was smooth and fine, and it was a breath of fresh air to just have your lovely voice being broadcast out to all of our fans. But hey, we're in the backyard here of the Boston Garden. How about those Celtics? Oh my God, the the whole city was so excited last night. I mean. Honestly, there's nothing that you can't say about how excited the Boston fans get. I mean, they are, they love their teams. <laughs> it's fun to have gone, yeah, there's the crowd roaring <laughs> That's in the them background. them right now, they're outside. <laughs> Thanks, George, at WebmasterRadio.fm <laughs> for that sound effect, really appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we are blessed with literally a view of the, of the big gold, uh, sort of statue that's right out in front of the garden. Uh, we felt the vibe yesterday afternoon of everybody, you know, the excitement being generated around the game at the end of the day, the work day, and people pouring in, the tents that were set up. I mean, it it's pretty special to be to be from Boston now, don't you think? Oh, yeah. You know, I think we're really lucky, especially because our office, our station, is located right across from where the Celtics play. So, I mean, we get a, a bird's-eye view of everything that's going on over there. And I know the Boston fans get a little too excited sometimes about their teams. Not that that's a bad thing. But from what I hear last night, everybody was pretty well-behaved. Everything was under control, and everybody was just a healthy level of excitement. I saw some of the footage. There was there was definitely some some uh, the streets were roughed up. They were um, <laughs> not too badly, but there was your normal uh, vandalism. Some cars were beat up a bit. Some I think the Boston Globe delivery little metal vehicles took the worst beating. They were they were flattened and crushed with newspapers all over the place. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing when these types of things happen, but. Uh, from a media perspective, as we're sitting here documenting what it transpired, um, you know, those are the stories, unfortunately, that you, that you have to talk about. You know, what happened in the city? Was it crazy? Was it nuts? And it, it, it seemed like it was, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy, yeah. I woke up this morning. I mean, I fell asleep. I, I'm such an old lady. I can't stay up. I think the game was going till one thirty in the morning last night. And I, I woke up this morning, and all the, the local coverage was, uh, you know, how exciting the game was and how the crowds were afterward. And it's just it's so exciting to see all those people running out of the stadium with, you know, so much, you know, excitement. They're just so happy to, to be a, part of a winning town. You know, we have an interesting guest on, just to, to switch gears um, for a second. Um, we have to figure out a way to find some positive news about the challenges of living green and uh, and the global warming issues. Um, we have we're blessed with a guest today that is going to be really exciting to learn more about. He's a scientific journalist, as you've noted in your fabulous write-up here, Mandy. Thank you very much. Um, and is uh, he began worldviewofglobalwarming.org. 
um, uh, the website itself, not just to tell people, but to show people the changes that the earth is experiencing. So we're going to talk about it, but, you know, I got to tell you, it's, it is a depressing subject, you know, yeah. to, to see these images is really staggering. And we have to try to figure out what positive things can come out of, 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 of our education um, and, and certainly moving beyond denial that who cares, let's just buy those SUVs and, you know, not worry about our, our you know, our carbon footprint and, and live for today and not for 20 years from now. But, uh, but there must be something positive we can do. So let's try to dig in and find some, something positive from today. What do you say? That's your job. I like it. I like it. I'll be <laughs> Captain Positivity over here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll be back with our guest, um, Gary Brosh, um, a scientific photojournalist for worldviewofglobalwarning.org. Back in a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, what's that sound coming from your computer? That's the sound of me making money with referback.com. They've shown me how to... Referback.com show me how to turn clicks on my existing site into cash. Referback gives you free banners, mailers, even your own personal account manager. Oh, can they help me make money off my blog too? Absolutely. Your websites, your blogs, they can all be making you money. You can even earn 50% commission on your first month. Put some into your website. Just visit referback.com. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Affiliate marketing is changing rapidly. Stay ahead of the trends with Affiliate Marketing Insider. Jonathan Stefanski, who is the VP of Sales for Coop. Everyone is trying to find a way to take video and monetize it. I think what we're doing uniquely is really focusing on that aspect of it, which is video as a monetization tool as opposed to entertainment tool. But at the end of the day, we're all in business to make money and creating a platform for people that want to use video to sell um, products and services. Affiliate Marketing Insider, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. We're here today with Gary Brosh. Gary, welcome to the show. 
Hi, thank you very much. I have to say, as a uh, as a uh, Western Conference guy, um, I'm quite impressed <laughs> by the Celtics. <laughs> well, if so, nothing else, you have to thank you for the compliment. <laughs> if nothing else, you have to be impressed with the emotion that you saw at the end of the game last night. Wow. Yeah, that I wonder was... if uh, if uh, uh, if people at the game who uh, do some damage afterwards is that uh, vandalism? <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, it always gets talked about. We're we're a rough crowd, but let's let's talk about more important. Let's talk about more important things. Let's let's jump to more important things like making the world a better place thanks to the great work you've done here in the photojournalism area. Tell us a little bit about what you do and where you're going. And then I know Mandy's digging. We're going to dig right in at you. She's got some 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 things hot on her mind that she wants to learn from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks. Well, I'm a an environmental photojournalist. I have a background in journalism, not science, but I have been uh, taking photographs and and, uh, covering scientific work, especially natural history science, for about 30 years. Um, My name may not be familiar, but my pictures have been in all the major magazines. And I began to notice global warming, as many other people did back in the 80s and 90s, but it wasn't until about uh, toward the the end of the 90s when I was in Alaska that I actually – talked to scientists who were measuring the rapid temperature rise in Alaska, which is still going on, and starting to see effects on the tundra, wondering about how it would affect the the major mammals up there, especially like the caribou and the polar bear. And um, on that particular trip, I also uh, landed at Prudhoe Bay on my way out. There's an airport there connecting down to the lower 48. And and, uh, immediately, you know, the, the... very strong connection between between fossil fuels and and climate and the fact that you know gas that was being produced right there in Prudhoe Bay was going to vehicles and um, and industries elsewhere and they were putting out CO2 and it was coming back to affect the caribou that were in a wilderness only about 150 miles away really sort of connected it all up for me and I also saw there weren't that many photographs of what the scientists were actually doing and the places where the effects were actually starting to be seen. So I didn't know really what I was getting into. It's turned into an incredible, massive job. And, and of course, the science has gotten increasingly more, um, as they call it, um, um, very robust, very, very, very positive results about how strong global warming is beginning to happen. So with the photographs, I began to put them out into the marketplace and the magazines that I knew, and I got some assignments, and I raised money on my own, and ended up going to 22 nations at all seven continents to track where scientists were working and to track the effects of ongoing climate change right now. Now, Gary, you, you've literally traveled the entire world taking really awesome photojournalistic evidence of the global warming changes, but, and, you know, I hate to be like a naysayer here, and I'm not, but... What would you say to people who, who have, who think that you know, since the Earth has changed, the Earth has gone through so many different co- climate patterns in the past thousands of years? You know, what do you say to people who are like, oh well, we're just going through another climate change. This is natural. This has nothing to do with what humans are doing. Well, um, the scientific answer to that, and I'm sure I understand that there are some people who, who can't understand this and i i mean the earth is a huge place the ocean is a huge place to think that us puny humans are actually having an effect on it is is hard for some people to grasp i understand that but the science is is very secure now there's no question that extra co2 in the atmosphere 
uh, does warm the atmosphere. That is um, as close to being a fact as the as is the theory of gravity. <laughs> um, the 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 CO2 in the air can be measured, and they know for sure that the extra CO2 that's been put in in the last hundred years is coming from from ancient. It's coming from ancient uh, carbon from the from the fossil fuels. That's easily measured by a scientist. And, and they also, uh, beyond just the temperature change that's happened, very, very rapid temperature change, in the, especially in the last 30 years, very unusual in many, many, many thousands of years going into the past. Um, there, are, there are indications now that every kind of uh, part of the world that relies on climate and weather for how it grows and how it functions is, is beginning to change according to the change in temperature. That's everything from glaciers and ice sheets down to tiny, tiny birds and, and even the plankton in the ocean are all changing in correlation with this change in temperature and the change in CO2. What happened many, many millions of years ago on the planet, uh, certainly there were warmer times, more CO2 times back, way, way back, but it really is not relevant to what's happening now because now we can see what's happening, we can see how fast it's happening, and we know for sure scientifically that... Um, almost all the effect is from what humans are doing. Now, what are what are some of the most um, extreme examples of climate change that you've seen during your travels? Well, I've seen it in several different ways. I mean, first of all, I have. Um, it's hard to see climate change. It don't. It, most of it doesn't happen fast enough that you can just stand there and notice it. But uh, many people, for example, if they think about it, have experiences of going to our national parks, the ones that have glaciers and noticing, especially if they went there as a young person and now they're a grandma or grandma, grandpa or something like that, they can look at the family pictures probably and see the change in glaciers. My own Mount Hood uh, out here in Oregon near Portland is a glaciated um, dormant volcano and scientifically measured uh, changes there. The glaciers are definitely getting smaller. They're 35% smaller than they were a century ago. And I can actually see that in my photographs, the photographs I made um, on um, mountain climbs and on uh, scenic photographs in the 1980s, definitely show more snow, more ice at the end of the summer season than the pictures I take today. So I'm actually both learning it from the scientists as well as seeing it with my own eyes. Also, I might say seacoast, the sea level is rising more rapidly now, and most places along the shore, especially sandy shores or gentle shores, are seeing effects of the of oncoming uh, sea level rise as well as uh, the possibility of stronger storms. There's indication, for example, that, that um, the waves in the Pacific Ocean on average are larger now um, that is possibly tied, and they're still working on all this, but there are all these effects that are getting stronger, and the only thing that really is happening with our planet that's dramatic in terms of changes is the change in CO2. The sun is not is not stronger. The big cycle, the 10,000-year cycles and so forth that create ice ages actually would be making us cooler now, but we appear to have totally overcome that. So I am seeing these changes in my own, on my own landscapes, and of course, through the eyes of the scientists, I'm, I'm being able to see things like the fact that the data shows that that migrating birds are coming in earlier, that they're nesting earlier, that insects are changing their range, and, and other effects like that. A couple of couple questions for you that, that, that are probably have no answer that we can surmise <laughs> at this juncture, but 
in the history of, of, of the planet, have we had phases of global cooling as well as global warming? Is there any evidence that might suggest that we're just in a global warming phase, but we may pull out of it and, and, and somehow find ourselves in a global cooling phase? Or is that just not something that there's any basis from which to, to think, imagine? Well, actually, I'm just reading a book now by um, Dr. Wallace Broker, who is one of the premier uh, uh, geophysicists on the planet. He works for Lamont Doherty in New York. Um, he is one of the ones that discovered how rapidly the changes happened at the end of the last ice age. Uh, he's one of the ones that discovered uh, some of the cycles that happen um, that, that create the change in um, an ice-covered planet versus a, uh, a, much, um, a much warmer planet. And um, he definitely sees these changes. And one, there's two things that he's worried about. Number one, he, like most other scientists, is very concerned about the amount of CO2 in the air right now. Mm-hmm. That is a factor that we have not. We can measure the CO2 in ice cores and deep glaciers. Mm-hmm. We can measure the CO2 actually that was in the air 800,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there has been no point in all that time when the CO2 has been as high as it is now. Mm-hmm. So that's one warning sign that he keeps going back to in his book. And the other one is, is that... Um, the the cycles that he knows about from the causal ice ages are 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 relatively weak compared to the amount of warming of the CO2. He thinks that that there's the possibility of even more rapid changes that we've seen just because when you push the Earth system when you stress it, which is what happened at the end of the ice age, it started to get the natural technique the natural warming started to happen. Mm-hmm. Things can happen very rapidly. So there, there is evidence of cooling and evidence of warming in the past, but what we're seeing now seems to be um, mostly driven by human CO2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I might also methane, of course, also is in there in the mix also in terms of the, the greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. So wh- the, the big issue here is the Earth is working the way it normally works. That is, it responds to additional CO2. It responds to... Um, changes of its orbit. But right now, the major factor that is responding to is the additional CO2, and scientists know a lot about what to expect. That's why they can put out predictions that talk about how much sea level rise might be happening. You know, up to three feet of sea level rise by the end of the century is one of the estimates. They can talk about how um, the ranges of of food plants, like where corn can grow and so forth, can will will change over time because they understand the relationship between habitat and climate. So they're not guessing about this. They are using what they know about plants and animals and, and the climate to, to, to see what might happen if we keep on the path that we're on. Have you seen any breakthroughs or any, any, uh, any, any plans that seem feasible to actually re- reduce the amount of CO2 in the environment that might involve really creative, innovative things? You know, Laser beams well, poking holes in the <laughs> ozone, you know. Well, um, um, anything I mean, that is good yeah. news, positive news. Well, actually, I mean, I think the good news is not just about big innovations that nobody's heard of yet, but also about the fact that things we already know about are absolutely, um, absolutely work. I mean, to me, the best news, and this is something that people can can participate in immediately after the program if they haven't already and also involves much bigger bigger entities and governments but it's the fact that we waste half of our energy 
in the United States, especially I've seen that chart showing that we waste half of the energy that we put into our system, industrial systems, into our houses, into our cars, etc. And in some businesses, industrial processes, um, like by the time you put your pedal down in a car, you know, you're getting not even 5% of the energy of the gasoline. And so we have a huge way to go in terms of using the techniques we already know about, about making machines and houses and buildings and our urban structure much more efficient. This is not, um, it's not, a, big, it's not a huge breakthrough. We've known about these for many years, but because gasoline and oil and coal were so cheap, we didn't have to do it. Now not only is gasoline and oil getting very, very expensive, but, but we now have a whole other reason to be concerned about the CO2, which was an invisible output of all of this uh, burning that we didn't even notice. We never, we don't even, we don't see it, we don't notice it. But now we have another reason to take these, these uh, really relatively easy steps. And it's not going to be happen tomorrow, but I mean, after everybody went, looked at their travel, their travel methods, and if they're not already taking public transportation, if they're using a card, if they can shave, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 miles off of what they drive, in a day or a week, it absolutely will make a difference. Every time you burn a ga- gallon of gasoline, you put 20 pounds of CO2 in the air. So we, that, that, this is the, what's been described to me as not only the low-hanging fruit, but the fruit that's already on the ground mm-hmm. in terms of what we all should be doing. And people in governments and industries are starting to get the idea. So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the first thing I would say. But also there are, there are some other ideas, and one of them um, has to do with um, I think that has not been really fully, that will, it will amount to a lot of energy, and that is um, uh, ocean, ocean currents and ocean waves is something that's just beginning to be explored. And another one that um, Dr. Broker talks about in his book is uh, techniques where we can actually take CO2 out of the air mm-hmm. and, and convert it into a mineral that um, could be useful in other ways. But uh, so, and there's also the possibility of finding a way to make hydrogen without using fossil fuels. Maybe solar-powered hydrogen plants that would cr- give us a, um, a way to carry energy in the hydrogen. These are coming, and I think the pressure on the whole industrial system and on governments will move a lot of money in those directions and get this going. But in the meantime, the savings from efficiencies and conservation are just are just huge that we haven't taken advantage of yet. Gary, you're killing me. <laughs> this is such <laughs> well, a downer interview. I, I want to I mean, crawl I into my desk and hide. Um, people ask me if I'm hopeful, and I say I think it's more like I'm determined. I mean, I see that we can the changes that that, that we made, especially in the United States and Europe, since you know in the last hundred years, even since the war, the, the Great War. Um, we have done all these things because we had the power to do it and because people were interested in inventing things and making money in the marketplace. And um, those still apply. We just have a whole, whole other reason why we should let our inventors and our engineers loose on these non-carbon techniques. Well, it's hopeful is the right attitude. Um, bring me back up. Tell me more about some of the books you've done. I know you did a great kids' book, so I'm, I'm sure the kids' book isn't a downer. Tell me some more about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, my my big book, which is in the bookstores now, is called Earth Under Fire, How Global Warming is Changing the World, and that's by University of California Press. Is all of my experiences traveling around the world, plus a great deal about the kind of techniques I was just talking about, the technologies, and what people are already doing. That's, uh, that's in the bookstores now. Um, with that, 
done, I turned to a kid's book. I have a great um, friend in the in the kids' book business, whose name is Lynn Cherry, who some of your uh, audience may know. She has some very famous books for kids, like The Great K-Pop Tree. And she and I collaborated on this book, wrote it basically together. We did a lot of telecommuting to write this book for kids, talking about what the scientists, what pictures of the scientists, what they look like, what, uh, what it's like to be a scientist, the basic idea of being a scientist, like collecting data and then analyzing it and then looking for connections. And then along the way, Lynn was able to connect up with quite a few teachers who were already teaching climate change to their kids, and how were they doing it? And we have lots of examples in the book of techniques of how kids are already learning to take data. Kids are, are tracking um, migrating birds and butterflies through various programs, and a lot of teachers have, have, have uh, gotten techniques to show what ocean, how ocean currents can change. and. And all these little things that are great, they're all illustrated in the book. And we have uh, really good references uh, also. Now, that book is called um, How We Know What We Know About Our Changing Climate, uh, Scientists and Kids Explore Global Warming. And um, it has a website, um, howweknowclimatechange.com, which has previews of the book and actually has some downloadable um, uh, little lesson plans that teachers and, and parents and kids can look at right now. The whole idea of this is to empower kids that not only can they understand how scientists know this, and it's all, it is a big question, as, your, as some of your questions indicated, but also the fact that they can be empowered to, to actually to learn it. And then we have some really inspiring stories about some kids and some classes who learned about uh, part of climate, saw it happening in their own communities or schools, and, and got the attention of adults and, and did something. There's really an inspiring story about kids in Vermont who, in a particular school, were studying a unit on air quality. This was because of a program that was done by a local environmental group. But in the course of studying that, they realized that the buses sitting outside parked waiting to take them home from school were the, the engines were running and those fumes were coming in the school. And they could actually measure it. And so the upshot is they ended up working with a lot of adults, and they have a law now in Vermont against long-term idling of cars and buses and, and trucks and buses. And this is going on now to other states. It's a really good example how kids can see something happening because they learn about climate change and take action that benefits their whole community. A couple more questions for you that are just uh, on top of mind for me. Um, I've, I've been perusing through your site in the last day or so and, and just looking through things. To me, you know, as the expression goes, a picture says a thousand words. Um, I think that what we need in this country right now and, and is, is what I would call, you know, in, in your neck of the world at least, is what I would call photographic shock strategy. <laughs> we need to shock people. We need to scare them. We need to show images of before and after, of mountains that are depleting with snow coverage, with you know the, the ramifications of that depletion of, of snow, with streams that once were filled with beautiful trout and are now you know streams and brooks that are dried up, um, you know trees that are, you, are you know wildfire pictures of before. Before this hill, this is what this looked like. After the fire, this is what it looked like. So connected, are you? I mean, we need to be shocked into changing our behavior. You're a photographic journalist. 
Well, I agree with that, and I, I actually think that, that we got a big shock. Katrina was a huge shock to everybody, and it was not only about what can happen with a big storm, and there are going to be more big storms, and there are going to be more American cities um, taking on big storms at the same time they're having extra high tides, which is the real thing I'm worried about. So we have that, but also I think it's very true to show people, especially before and after pictures, how rapidly it's changing. Um, I think the pictures that have been most effective from my, in my project, which in my project started out, you know, I'm a natural history guy talking about landscapes and glaciers and so on, but in Alaska I saw native villages right on the coast that are being eroded away so fast that the, they're, they're losing their houses and they're actually going to have to move. These are American citizens, Native American villages that are so heavily affected now, um, they're going to go end up living at a place that is not the place they would normally live in their culture. I mean, they're coastal um, sealers and whalers and fisher people that don't really belong inland, and yet they're going to have to move. Um, the people in Bangladesh, who I photographed, basically crowded along the edge of an eroding uh, road just to see, <laughs> really just curious about me, the photographer, but they are within, they're standing within uh, three feet of the water beneath them and the rivers that goes by there. And this is a, t a tidal river. I mean, a, a meter of sea level rise is going to be up to their feet. And this is in normal weather, not to count about any storms. And so I do think that, it, that those pictures of people at risk already, that are already seeing the effects in their daily life, has been a, a, one of the strongest parts of my of my project, right up there with the uh, repeat pictures of the glaciers that show how much they've they've pulled back into the mountains. There will be more. There will be droughts. There are going to be, unfortunately, there are going to be people who are going to run out of water in the summertime because the glacier's gone. And I think a lot of this stuff is inevitable because of what we already have in the atmosphere. That's why it's so desperately important that we get started and not putting as much CO2 in the atmosphere. It's going to take us a long time to solve the problem totally. But the, the less we put in, the less the problem's going to be in the future. We're for, one more question from me, me, and then we're going to dive into some, some tips that I know you have for us um, that Mandy's helped with. But um, So we're fortunate in the United States to have wonderful uh, journalists like yourself and other people that are really trying to build uh, to change our, our, our bad habits um, and, and give us information that helps motivate us. Talk with me about China, though, and your travel in China. I mean, there's more, there's four times the amount of CO2 coming out of China, from what I've read, um, than there is in the United States. What are your thoughts on China? Are they, they are they motivated to change their their habits? Well, uh, China and what are they China, seeing in their culture? Yes. You know, <laughs> what are they seeing uh, in their culture? Yeah, China is enormous, of course, and and 1.3 billion people. It's, four times the size of the United States. That's the figure you may think. They don't, their, their amount of CO2 output is just bypassing ours. It's about the same. Um, then they have, other, they have other emissions as well, of course, that cause greenhouse warming. But, um, so I, you know, I barely scratched the surface, but I learned, I think I learned two things about China that are very important. Maybe it'll work into three, but one of them is, is that their people are already suffering, and they have a lot more people suffering right now from climate change effects than we do because they have so many more people. We have a lot of people that are still in, in what we would consider poverty that um, certainly need, need power and water and so forth, but they're going at it by burning all the coal they can as rapidly as they can in very uncontrolled, um, no pollution control um, power plants. 
And so that is their big problem. They need energy for their people, but the only way they can they can quickly get it is by burning coal. But they also have huge resources. They are probably the leading nation now in terms of running in terms of being in control of how the economy works in the world. They have they're a huge power. They have a lot of money, and because they are an autocracy, they're able to make changes much more rapidly than we might in a democracy because we want to talk things over a lot more. They, it's not a good way to run, run it for the people, but if the, if the leaders there decide to de-emphasize coal greatly to take um, input from technologies that they don't have in terms of pollution control, if they decide to, to use uh, water power, I mean, I'm talking really more about ocean power and small, small dams. Big dams don't work very well. But anyway, they have all this possibility of using alternative power if they decide to do it. My great hope is that right now they don't have any, they're sort of hiding behind our skirts, saying, well, you, you know, if the, if the Western nations that have been doing this so long are not doing it, why should we? Um, we need to take, we, the United States and Europe, need, know, we know what the issue is. We should be able to do a lot in our own self. And once we're on the track, which I think we will get there certainly with whoever becomes president next, then we will be able to go to China, I hope, in a spirit of cooperation and a spirit of help and say, let's help, let's work together, you're inventing things, let's share this, and let's try to turn it around. And I think that's the main hope that we have. It's a diplomatic solution, really, more than a technical solution. At least the, the diplomacy has to happen first. Oh, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, really? <laughs> I'm going to need a healthy dose of some antidepressants after this show. Bring me back up. Give me some tips on how we can make this better. How can we make this right? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things people can do. First of all, I mean, I would very much um, suggest that people looking for information, Google um, NASA and climate and NOAA and climate, and they have incredible information in there from the top scientists. There's lots of, and also there's lots of maps and charts and graphs for people who like those. Um, I want to recommend the Union of Concerned Scientists website. I think it's ucsusa.org. Really good information, again, based in science. And then in terms of the, it, what we really have to do, there's um, the... The new, the new estimate by some of the leading climate scientists is that we already have too much CO2 in the atmosphere. It's not a matter of trying to end up with, with a lot more. And so there's an organization called 350.org. That's the number 350, 350.org, that is starting to lead the charge. And Bill McKibben is heavily involved in this. And the idea is, is to make sure people understand that we're that we need to move faster than we are and all the things that we can do. So those are good websites. I think that people right now, it's, we finally found out how much gasoline would cost for people to actually make note that they have other alternatives. And so, you know, people are already, I think, uh, <laughs> clued into how to save money on their, on their travel, but it certainly is a big part. I would say in terms of homemakers and homes, um, using appliances that are energy star that use a lot less energy. The modern appliances use a great deal less energy than ones even 10 years old. Um, and to keep them turned off as much as possible, make sure that you're only using the lights that you need. And um, everybody, I think, should be tuned into that by now. Keeping a garden, of course, keeps you know allows you to get some fresh food that, that otherwise would be trucked into you and so on. 
these are probably pretty well known. I think three other things, though, that are important to me. One is that, that people who are interested and want to do more, that they take these ideas to their community, um, to their community associations, neighborhood groups, to the schools, um, and to their city leaders about what else can we do. And this might include um, getting walking paths in a neighborhood that does not now have them so people can get around without getting in their cars. Um, it's really important to keep track of the candidates that are running, not just for the national office. And I think it's very important for people to look and see what the whole picture is of what Mr. Obama wants to do as, uh, and what Mr. McCain wants to do in terms of climate. Um, they are, they're both in favor of doing something, but it, there are some differences. Uh, but also local candidates. Here in Portland, Oregon, we've had really enlightened and forward-looking candidates and, and members of the city council. That's why Portland is one of the leaders in alternative transportation and in, in new, um, new building codes that make buildings more efficient. And then finally, something that we haven't talked about much at all, but I'm hoping I can try to make it easier for people. I think that people need to make sure that they tell their merchants and the people that make the stuff that they're buying if they can't find... Um, high efficiency uh, equipment if they can't find local food in their in their grocery stores make sure that the people that are selling the stuff to you know what you want so we can send the message back up to the manufacturers and and the agricultural uh, companies and so forth that we want them to do their work in a much more low carbon way as well as they send their products to us there's a lot to do <laughs> we've got a lot of work to do it's overwhelming but, it, but you know, you're and positive, I think right, people, Gary? If, well, I am very positive because people don't have to think about how overwhelming the big picture is. I mean, this is like this is like um, you know, looking at at the at you, as you start a family, how you're ever going to pay for every day on all the food and everything, and adding that all up. I mean, that's a discouraging way to do it. But you take it one day at a time, and you make plans to do it, get improvements as you go along. And I think that's what everybody needs to do: is just do what they can do. Um, look around at some of the websites, get some other ideas, and then, as, as I say, I think it's really good to be working in groups. It's encouraging. You get, to, you get something positive done, and certainly in neighborhoods where the school, the school is the center of the neighborhood, that is a very powerful place. Already you have done things together, and you have tackled other problems, and to see if the school could, you know, discourage people from driving and go biking instead, turn off the engines of cars that are waiting for pick up the kids, Think about putting in uh, solar panels. All these things can be done just within a school or a school district, and it makes a very positive feeling. And it's really, and that, and you educate the kids and get them used to that. This is the the really nice world and cleaner world that they can grow into if if we start doing this stuff. I have one final question for you, and um, it is the following: Is there a carbon footprint calculator out there that you are aware of? where I could calculate how much CO2 pollution in the atmosphere I would save by walking 15 minutes versus driving my car or turning my computer off at the end of each day? Or is there anything out there that would give me a calculation of my footprint? Well, there is, and there Quite a few. I mean, one of them that's easy to remember because it's carboncounter.org. Um, there are actually quite a few of them. Um, Al Gore's site from uh, from his uh, the Inconvenient Truth website, which is climatecrisis.net, mm -hmm. has one. Um, they do vary. 
And um, I have to say that one of the things that needs to be improved on most of these and uh, that I hope that, that uh, some people will take on who know a little bit more about how to do the calculations than I do, and that is to make just that kind of effect. I mean, what is the, what is the total and what does it practically mean? Um, a lot of carbon reductions are put in the, in the number, like the number of automobiles that it would equal if those automobiles were not driving on the highway anymore. And um, I'm not sure that's as clear as it could be about what that really means. But anyway, there there are a number of them. You can just Google carbon calculator, and and you come up with a whole list of them, and you can see which one fits you the best. Um, but that's I don't have a I don't have a particular favorite. Gary, well, I'm, well here's an invitation for you. Um, we have about 35 or 40 books that Mandy has uh, been involved in producing that are all 101 tip books that are part of the Life Tips book series. Yeah. How hard would it be to uh, to offer 101 tips to us here at Life Tips um, from you on how to make how to how to, if you will reduce your carbon footprint? How much work would be involved in that, and, and would you be open to something like that with us? Because this is just great information. I want to get it out there, but I think it's very complicated. There's a lot of clutter out there, and I think we need to make it simple if we're really going to have an impact and ask people to change their lives. What are your thoughts on 101 tips? Do you think we could create 101 tips that could really make the world a better place? Well, I mean, first thing I would say is that I don't know if I can find it. Chris, I think it's called... 50 ways, and I'm not sure it's global warming or not. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, great. So that, we've got that, a good start on 50. Let's come up with 51. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I actually think that I would, so to answer your question directly, I think it's a great idea, and it certainly could be done. Um, this is uh, the idea of trying to give people something to do. I mean, especially like, you know, one thing a week or something like that or one, you know, uh, simple things to do every week that they could actually do and they could, you know, see the effect that it's having in their lives. Because a lot of this stuff, you know, it makes things better anyway. I mean, it's much better if the kids are out on bikes rather than being taken by cars everywhere and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think this is something, if you have a model of 101 things, that it certainly could fit in to all the information that, that I have and, and a lot more. Well, we may take you up on an opportunity to at least explore that with us um, because a man of your celebrity nature, I think, could really, uh, you know, uh, offer some value to people and, and pull some people into to the fold. Um, but there needs to be a clever hook to it, and I think the clever hook is a tip would be great information, but a tip would it would also be great to demonstrate a click, you know, quickly how much of your carbon footprint you're reducing. So organizing the tips by by footprint size would be really cool. Yeah. Because you could actually then put that into some sort of calculator that would accompany the, the book and, and 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 start fans that are following the tips in the book and that have camaraderie and that are collectively seeing how the impact um, of reading this book and, and following the tips is impacting the world. I mean, that that's powerful to me, you know? Well, and that's what, one of the things that we did in the in our in our kids' book is to mention a few things that kids could do, especially things they, they could do immediately that would make a mm-hmm. difference. And then we decided, well, listen, what happens if more kids do this? And we ended up with a chart showing what would happen if a million kids did those things. 
and it's a huge amount of CO2 saved um, when a million kids are doing even a few simple things like reducing the amount of plastic that they use and turning off their computers at night and all these kinds of things that are very simple. And so you're definitely on the right track. We've, we, we definitely think that, 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 getting, that empowering not only kids but their families and the and people that work with them and all of, the, all of the parts of the community, including the people that, that are in charge of our cities, that what they do actually can make a difference is the most powerful way to go, I think, in terms of the community. And then that filters up, or if you might say down, to, <laughs> to, the, to the manufacturers and, and the CEOs who obviously need to make money, but um, you know, they need more encouragement as well to move their companies into um, more efficiencies and in products that have a very low carbon footprint. Well, we are way over time, but that's only because this has been such a great conversation today with you. So, Gary, on behalf of you, making the world a better place through your photojournalism, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much, and I, I hope that your audience will uh, take some of these things to heart right away when they, when they uh, leave their radio. <laughs> we, can't, right on. We, we can't really wait too much longer to get started in all of our lives. As the expression goes, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> well, in a way, although that's good now because we know we're aiming at we're aiming at at everything, right? So maybe that will work. <laughs> Usually, that's not a good way to do it. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for tuning into the show today, Mandy. Are, are we all set with this show? We are all set. Byron, do you know why we had technical difficulties earlier? Tell me why. Global warming. <laughs> bang and a bang. Well, hopefully, everybody in Florida at WebmasterRadio.fm is okay down there. And it, uh, but anyway, thanks for tuning into the show, everybody. Until next week, I hope your life is a little bit smarter. Better? Faster? Awesome. <laughs> Someday I'll get it. <laughs> thanks for tuning into the show, everybody. We'll see you next week.